One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. So I've been thinking about which topic to follow up with, because if you've been following along with this podcast since the inception back in January, uh, we've covered a wide range of topics related to health and wellness, but particularly as it relates to the inflammatory state. After all, uh, this is the inflammation nation, and, and uh, inflammation is at the core of all of our chronic degenerative diseases, including things like autoimmunities. And, uh, you know, we've kind of been around the horn. There's so many different things to talk about. I actually had to write out a list of the different topics that I wanted to cover. And uh, I decided to talk about hormones just simply because it has come up in the discussion of several of my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients, uh, just where we are in their particular process. The topic of hormones came up and, and um, we just had some really good quality discussions that I thought I would share uh, just some kind of groundwork so that you can understand the importance of hormone balance as it relates to not just controlling inflammation or how inflammation affects hormone balance because it is a two-way street. But to give you kind of that big picture understanding and to help you understand what options are available to you because we're living, you know, now we're in, in, in the 2020s um, and so much has changed even since I've been in practice. And, and in fact, I, I want to start just a little bit by talking about the history of hormone replacement. And I hope that doesn't bore you to death, but it, it, you know, it's kind of some interesting high points if you look back over the last century or so, particularly in the, the last 40 to 50 years and how those things have changed. Um, but eventually, we'll probably get started in the next episode because this will be a, another mini-series like those that we've already done. <clears throat> Pardon me. And... Um, We'll get to the point where we talk about different hormones and testing strategies and the differences between synthetic and bioidentical and whether or not somebody should even pursue something like hormone replacement therapy. Now, most of the conversation is going to be related to women in and around the menopausal state or in the postmenopausal state. But there's a lot of information that we're going to end up talking about that relate to women who are in their cycling years, maybe they're on birth control pills, uh, and even men with different hormonal imbalances. But ultimately at the end, what I wanna do is, is share with you a clinical model, which as much of what we talk about in the podcast, uh, I'm taking from the seminars that I teach to doctors. We, we teach a weekend seminar called Functional Endocrinology. We've been teaching that since, uh, like in one version or another since the early, I'm gonna say early 2000s. Um, so it's been around for quite a long time, but you know, ultimately at the end we're gonna have a way to be able to sort out what is the underlying cause or mechanism of hormonal imbalances, whether you're a male or female, and if you're a female, whether you're in or out of your reproductive life cycle. And then we'll put it together in a way that makes sense that you can kind of answer your own question. Like, should I, considering where I am in my life stage and what's happening with hormone balance and control, does it even make sense for me to assess hormones? How do I do that? And what do I do with the results that I find? Because I'll tell you, it's not as black and white as everyone wants you to think it is. Uh, because on one hand, you have the diehard 
naturalists that say, well, you know, something like menopause is a natural process and it's something that we should just leave alone, that hormones are designed to dwindle and fade over a period of time. And I totally get that argument. And in fact, I will tell you that I generally held that perspective to be true early on in my career until I had enough experience seeing people who were working with other doctors that actually did hormone replacement therapy and did it well and did it, you know, let's say respectfully, uh, that I started to see the benefits of hormone replacement, but not all hormone replacements strategies are the same. And, and so you run into questions about whether or not you should be using bioidentical or synthetic. Are they always better? It, meaning is bioidentical always better than synthetic hormones? And are there risks associated with each one? And which one is going to work best for you if you decide to do it? And should you replace one hormone or all of them? And should you jump into hormone replacement without first asking the question how you got there to begin with. And if you can identify those mechanisms, what would happen to your hormones, ba hormone balance and control if you went backwards and worked on the underlying mechanisms? Because I'll tell you one thing. There are sometimes that we see people's hormones come back online, so to speak, after they fix their gut, they stabilize their blood sugar, they do a detox or a combination of those things. And we really don't need to do hormone replacement. But there are a lot of people that I've worked with personally over the years where we've done really good work at a foundational level and we've seen a lot of changes in health and wellness in the bigger picture. But no matter what we did, the hormones didn't come back to a place that we were all happy with. And, and so what I would say just before we even get into talking a little bit about the history of hormone replacement as an industry um, that there are some people that hormone replacement is the thing that they're going to need to do. So do you jump into it right away or do you try to look at steps one, two, and three before you ultimately make that decision? <clears throat> and then there's the struggle of trying to find somebody who understands what it is you're looking for and is, uh, from an educational standpoint as well as a, a clinical standpoint, is actually well-equipped to do it. Because there are a lot of people out there that are prescribing hormones in a very formulaic way, a very knee-jerk reaction. You know, so I said earlier, you have the purists who say, well, nobody should be on hormone replacement because it's not natural. And again, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from. But on the flip side, there are lots of benefits, potential benefits to even an anti-aging approach where you try to approximate or recreate hormone levels that are more consistent with, say, a 20 or 30-year-old maybe back when we were in our prime. Um, but just because someone does anti-aging medicine or does prescribe hormones doesn't mean they really know what they're doing. And if you are working with a doctor who, you know, just thinks it's a good idea or maybe it's like the sexy thing, right? You go to seminars and conferences and somebody speaks about hormone replacement and you've never heard information presented in that way and all of a sudden you think it's a good idea for everyone and you go back to your office and you start prescribing hormone replacement without really understanding what you're doing. And, and I do think that there are problems with that. So, and I guess that's a long way to say that if you're going to talk to your practitioners, whoever it is on your healthcare team that you're working with, you better understand or feel comfortable that they know what they're doing and you better understand what model they are following because there are different ways to do hormone replacement, different reasons to do hormone replacement. There's different types of hormone replacement. And all of these factors need to be considered. And that's not even getting back to this idea that there is a fundamental biochemical platform or foundation upon which hormone balance and control is actually predicated.
So, you know, to be honest, I hesitated to even have this discussion and to put it into a podcast for a couple of reasons. And probably the first and foremost one is that it's like everybody wants to jump into hormones because it's the slick thing to do. It's the sexy thing to do. And I'm not just talking about people with hormonal imbalances who are being inundated in social media and on the internet, even you know infomercials about hormones and hormones and hormones and hormones. You know, it, it, we didn't always live in this information rich age where it's very easy to get misleading information, obviously. Um, but the bottom line is that a lot of people who are suffering from health issues probably have hormonal imbalances or concerns about those things at the top of their list or very close, maybe in the top two or three concerns. Um, but on the flip side, as I said just a moment ago, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to have this conversation because there's a lot of poorly educated and poorly informed practitioners out there that are doing prescriptive hormone replacement therapy. Uh, and also a lot of natural practitioners that are, you know, maybe using non-prescriptive plant-based, soy-based um, extracts that can modulate hormone balance. And sometimes they just really don't know what they're doing. And I can say that with confidence because I've taught enough functional endocrinology seminars to a different array of doctors for enough years across the country here in the U.S., that I've interacted with NDs and nurse practitioners and osteopaths and um, chiropractors and acupuncturists, naturopaths across the spectrum. And I can tell you that there are some really, really good clinicians out there who are very sharp and very on top of things. And then there's, there's those, <laughs> there are those who aren't. And they have licenses to practice too and they're in your community. Um, so it's, you know, in some respect, it's the wild west out there. But I guess maybe that's a good reason to have this discussion so that you can have a base of understanding and you can then go out and evaluate, do I, number one, do I even need to walk down this pathway? And, and if I do, how do I find someone who I can be reasonably confident, understands the terrain and can look at me as an individual person and then guide me down the right choices? Hi there, it's Dr. Noseworthy. I want to extend my appreciation to all of you in the Inflammation Nation who have helped my podcast become a great success in these first few months. I truly appreciate you. I also wanted to let you know about my brand new do-it-yourself online program called the Five-Step Gut Protocol. I designed this program for people who want to take charge of their own health and stop waiting around for someone else to tell them what to do. I've combined old naturopathic principles with cutting-edge research to create a truly unique program that will help you construct your own gut protocol. If you've ever wondered if you have gut infections, a leaky gut, or a bad microbiome, then this program will walk you through the steps to figure that out and gives you the tools that you need to formulate a practical strategy to help make things better. I guarantee at the end of this course you'll know more about your gut than your doctor does and you will feel confident that you know how to address your unique situation. You can check it out at my website at www.drnoseworthy.com. That's drnoseworthy.com. And just look for the tab at the top that says the programs. Thanks for listening. Um, anyways, let's talk just a little bit about the history of hormones. And this is, this is pretty easy to find. You know, you can go to PubMed or um, you know, just Google history of hormone replacement therapy and you'll, you'll come up with, you know, kind of standard statements about the timeline. But in general, it kind of goes like this. Um, 
reproductive hormones were first isolated and identified back in, say, the early 1900s, somewhere around there, even though some other people would argue that ancient cultures were doing hormone replacement therapy, you know, long before because they were, you know, having people drink horse urine or they were using plant extracts that we now know have, say, estrogen type properties. I'm talking about things that are either synthesized in a lab or taken out of plant life and isolated as a compound, like a natural progesterone, for example. So, you know, as, as we understand hormone replacement today, it really did start in the early 1900s. Now, in the 1930s, several major pharmaceutical companies back then, and there were only a handful, it's not like today where we have dozens, there were only a handful of major pharmaceutical companies, but um, they began marketing estrogen replacement, which typically is um, estrogen that's isolated from equine urine or horse urine. And it was back in the 1930s that this idea that menopause was a condition rather than a natural state. And, and what I mean by that, in fact, there was a book, I remember back being in chiropractic college in the 90s, and a, a book had come out while I was in chiropractic school in St. Louis. I believe it was called The Medicalization of Menopause. It was written by some medical doctor in Europe. And I was talking about how, you know, in Europe things were different when it came to hormones as it was then in the U.S., where in the U.S., um, there's an ICD-10 diagnosis code for menopause as if it was a disease. Whereas in Europe, the doctors tended to look at menopause as just a natural state of aging. Uh, and I believe that you can probably put forth arguments that are pretty solid on, on both sides because, you know, just because something is a natural part of aging doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. And all you have to, you know, maybe you suffer from menopausal or premenopausal or postmenopausal symptoms, or certainly I'm sure you know somebody who has gone through that change and it did not work well for them at all. And so it was back in the 30s that this idea that menopause was really a state of hormone loss and it was a condition to be corrected rather than simply a natural decline of hormones associated with natural aging and therefore needed to be left alone. Now, in 1960, somewhere around there, is really when horse, uh, hormone replacement therapy took off. And there was a, a U.S. gynecologist, I can't remember his last name, forgive me on that, um, but he published a book called Forever Feminine, uh, where he touted the benefits of hormone replacement and talked about sustained youth and beauty and sexuality and you know even went so far, which I think stepped over the line, to suggest that women who... Uh, went through menopause without the benefit of hormone replacement were essentially the you know the the female equivalent of castrated males, uh, and I, you know I'm not just I'm really not big on scare tactics like that, um, and I think that's all that was. So that was the 1960s, and then from the 70s through the 90s, the use of hormone replacement really grew like rapidly to the point where uh, in the 90s estrogen replacement was the number one drug prescribed across the United States. And part of this rise in popularity was the aging of the baby boomer segment, right? So we have this large segment of the population, particularly the female population, which at that time in the 90s was now kind of wakening up to how diet and lifestyle and environment and things like hormone balance could potentially allow you to age more gracefully. And, and maybe it could... Um, protect you against certain types of diseases. Well, the problem is, is that 
hormones are very, very powerful compounds. And if not done properly and not done right, they can actually in increase risk, which we'll talk about here coming up in a second. Um, in 1999, we saw the first combination hormone replacement therapy where pharmaceutical companies were combining uh, synthesized estrogen with uh, synthetic progestins. And that's an interesting word, a progestin. It sounds like progesterone, and in fact, it is a synthetic progesterone, but it's not bioidentical. And it turns out that there's some issues with health risks, particularly when you combine those two things, since that synthetic estrogen and progestin together. Um, by 2001, about 42% of all American women between the ages of 50 and 75 were taking hormones of one kind over another. And that year, in 2001, there were 90 million prescriptions filled for hormone replacement therapy. That's quite a lot, right? So in 2002 then, um, the National Institute of Health, the ethics board or ethics committee had to stop, in, stop or step in and stop what is known as the Women's Health Initiative. This was the largest scale study on female hormones um, that had ever been conducted but they ended up having to stop it three years early because of the increased risk of heart disease and stroke and breast cancer among the study participants. And what they were studying was the impact of uh, estrogen replacement, progesterone replacement, and this combination of estrogen with synthetic progestins. And again, so what ended up happening was the study, study participants had an increased risk of heart disease, stroke, breast cancer, and of course death. And the ethics committee said, we can't keep doing this and we're going to pull the plug. And it, even though it's three years early before the study was supposed to be concluded. And when the news of that came out, because it did hit social or not social media, because social media didn't exist back then, but it did hit major media outlets. And in the, in the, the next couple of years, um, there was about, a, there was up to, it just depends on which hormone combination or hormone you're talking about, but there was as much as a 60% decrease in the sales of synthetic estrogens and progestins as a result of the ethics committee of the National Institute of Health coming in and pulling the plug saying, we can't keep doing this to the women who are in the study. And so what ended up happening was that there was this wholesale shift towards bioidentical hormones as a safer and a more natural alternative. And this, remember, this was the early 2000s, 2002 was the year that they stopped the study. And in 2004, depending on how old you are, you might remember this. Uh, in in uh, 2004, there was a book that came out called The Sexy Years. And that was published by none other than Suzanne Somers. And you might not know who she is, but if you don't, she was an actress and a comedian who starred in a, or co-starred, I should say, in a 1970s, late 70s sitcom called Three's Company. And you might know her from uh, something called The Thighmaster. You know, she really actually ended up becoming quite the businesswoman and has, you know, quite the little empire going for herself in terms of natural, natural health and beauty. But nonetheless, that book, The Sexy Years, kind of shifted the mentality. And it gave women who had been on or had been considering hormone replacement therapy who were scared to do it. They, it gave them a place to go. And in fact, back at that time, I had been in practice for, oh, probably nine to 10 years at that point. And, and I remember dozens of my female clients coming to me and asking my opinion about whether or not bioidentical hormones were safe and whether or not they should do them. 
And, you know, at the time I was practicing predominantly chiropractic, it really hadn't even stepped into the door. It was, it was probably another four years or so that I started to delve into functional medicine. And even back then, I certainly wasn't where I am today in terms of, you know, expertise and knowledge and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I distinctly remember in the early 2000s, and particularly when Suzanne Summers' book came out, uh, just being inundated with questions about whether or not these bioidentical hormones were safe and what did I think and what should they do. And to be honest, I don't remember what my answer was back then. Um, and it was probably, to be honest, just, in, and I'm spitballing here, just trying to remember exactly where I was in terms of my own clinical model back then. I probably did buy into this idea that natural was always better. And I think I still, honestly, I, I still do believe that as a general rule, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that synthetic hormones don't have their place. And all we have to do is consider uh, synthetic hormones like insulin or even synthetic hormones like thyroid hormones. Some women do exceptionally well with synthetic T4 only medications and, and not everyone who goes to bioidentical T3, T4 combinations do well. And they actually, some of them do better when they go back on synthetic T4. So I don't think it's as black and white as our philosophies or our philosophical bias might want us to believe. But the reality is, is that there was this major shift and this major change back in the early 2000s away from what was the, the predominant form of bioidentical hormone therapy, which was the synthetic hormones and combination therapies, which obviously had some health issues to the point where they had to stop these large-scale studies. Now, interestingly enough, in the years afterwards, a couple of groups came back and you know, said that they reanalyzed the data and things weren't as bad as they said they were. And what we saw maybe five years later after the study was pulled in 2002 was that the sales of bio or not bioidentical synthetic hormones and hormone combinations started to go up again. And what you'll find out there is that there are generally two camps. You, you have the camps of the conventional medical community where they think nothing of prescribing synthetic hormones. And you have the camp which is bioidentical only and only ever bioidenticals. And then I'd like to say that there's that balanced position that says, well, you know, maybe it just depends, you know, maybe synthetics are okay. Maybe bioidentical is better. May, why don't we make this about the person and instead about the medication? And that's, you know, maybe a good point to leave on because obviously we're 20 minutes into what should have been a 15 minute discussion, but there's a lot more to talk about. So let me, let me just reiterate that last point and then we'll pick it up again in the next episode. And, and that last point is this, which is really kind of at the heart and the core of any solid functional medicine approach, which is let's make it about people rather than drugs or medications. Um, or even diets for that matter. You know, just because a diet works for me, it does not mean that it is going to work for you. And which is why I had what, like a 12 part series on discovering your ideal diet, just because what works for one person doesn't always work for someone else. And so I don't want to give you the impression that synthetic hormones are always bad. I don't want to give you the impression that bioidentical hormones are always good. Everything needs to, to be tackled or every question needs to be asked and then answered from the perspective of what is the biochemical uniqueness and the individuality of the person that I'm working with. And I think if we keep 
if we keep you front and center, we're going to end up making better decisions. And so we start by educating you and hence this little mini series on hormones and hormone replacement and their impact on inflammation as well as health and wellness. I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.